Our scripture reading from this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And it says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord for us. ...over the new baby that had come to their family. She was looking at this cute little bundle. It was all wrapped up and swaddled with the blanket, you know, as you do with those newborns. She was looking at the, the little nostrils and marveling at the eyes and the ears and completely captivated by this new sibling. But then her parents knew that uh, she, her face grew inquisitive as she looked very closely again at the little one. And with a certain amount of alarm in her voice, she said, how long will it take until the new baby grows arms? Don't you love the innocence of childhood? Those years, our first years, our earliest years, are really the most important years in our development. It's when you learn about trust. It's when you learn about fear and pain. It's when you learn about laughter. Kids just love to explore and sing and dance and do the reverse worm simultaneously across the front of the stage in the church. <laughs> this, is, this is obviously an area and a subject that's near and dear to my own heart. The kids love to hear stories and sing songs. They love to learn about our world. You know, it just seems like a toddler can do more in one unsupervised minute than many of us get accomplished in an entire day. <laughs> And their minds are like a steel trap. They, it seems that they recall everything. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that you probably have memories from when you were three, four, five years old. You remember songs you learned. Or maybe it's smells from your grandmother's kitchen. You remember, even in those early formative years, that you felt shame when you were scolded for doing wrong. You remember feeling loved and embraced and cherished when you were encouraged, when you were wanted, when you were accepted. Of course, childhood is a critical season for faith formation as well, which is why we talk about it here in the church. It's a critical time in faith formation. It's in childhood that we begin to think about God. 
We, we begin to think about eternity. We get, begin to think about how should I treat others? <laughs> and so today, we are going to be challenged to do all we can to make an impact on the next generation, on children, on young ones, even in their earliest years. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me introduce myself. I'm John, and I'm just thrilled that you are with us today. I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So we are starting a brand new sermon series. This is going to be a four-week series. We're calling it Seasons, the Gospel Throughout Life's Stages. You know, the weather is changing here in Ohio. Fall is my favorite time. The temperatures are starting to slowly get lower. The, the colors are starting to change. You know, it, it will be just a, a few days or weeks from now, we will see the full beauty of the autumn colors. And it reminds us, the changing of the seasons remind us of God's faithfulness in all seasons. That the gospel remains in each stage, in each step along life's journey. So let me just give a, an overview of the next four weeks. We're going to be looking through the lens of Luke's gospel at four stages or four seasons in life. Childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and then, shall we say, the golden years <laughs> in, into our elderly stage. And what an encouragement to know that Jesus leads us. Jesus cares for us, and he helps us to be fruitful and faithful in every season, in every stage, and at every age. So that's where we're going to be going over these next four weeks. And it begins, of course, right here in childhood, those, those early formative childhood years. And the scriptures tell us that we should do our part in teaching and training those young ones. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Wow. There is a weightiness here that we have this great task and calling. This great responsibility to teach the truths of the gospel to the next generation. To consider the importance of even the smallest little ones and what part we can play so that they would hear and understand and embrace the gospel. I should say also, not only are we to speak of those things and teach them, but we are to live them out and model them. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But we've got to practice what we preach. So since childhood is this critical season in the faith formation of each and every person, and since we've been instructed to teach children about Christ, here's what I'd like to do today with the rest of our time together. I'd like to share three keys for sharing the gospel with children. Three keys on how we can do that corporately as a church family, but individually in your own life, no matter what your age or stage, parents or not. It begins with family habits. God has designed us, of course, to be raised within the family unit. This is the place where we learn about life and we learn about ourselves and we learn about God. 
It's in the family unit that we develop our sense of humor and we pick up on social cues and it's there that our faith is formed. So each family, of course, has its own rituals or or patterns of behavior that are passed on to the next generation, including Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus. So we don't have a whole lot in the scriptures about the childhood of Jesus, but we do have some in Luke chapter 2, which is where we're going to go together this morning. Starting in verse 22, we're in Luke chapter 2. It says, when the time came... For the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is the boy Jesus, the infant Jesus. They took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So what happens here is the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, they participate in a series of purification rites at the temple in Jerusalem. This was to present their son, the boy Jesus, to the Lord. If you study up on this tradition, this practice, this Old Testament uh, requirement, it had three elements to it. Uh, These were prescribed by Old Testament law. So it involved a sacrifice being offered at the Nicanor Gate, the redemption of the firstborn son, which included paying five shekels, and then this consecration of the firstborn. Now, all of that aside, what we see in it is parents who wanted to abide by the word of God. Like like they knew the text from uh, Exodus chapter 13, when the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, the Lord says, belongs to me, whether human or animal. And so this then, of course, was a practice that Jewish families had. It was uh, the, the practice of dedicating the firstborn to the Lord. It was kicking off their parental duties, right? Because this is the first child given to a particular family with a recognition that even in this season of childhood, even with this little precious bundle that they were given, it's imperative that we teach and train and instruct our children to know and love God. And so we see that this example from this particular family, the family of Jesus. Now, in our context, of course, we do child dedications. We do that regularly right here at MCA. This is where children are dedicated to the Lord and where parents commit to raising those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I just want to say, that's a good habit. So so the first key for us today as we're talking about how do we impart the gospel to children in the next generation is, is family habits. That's a really good habit that we have, that, that our families here at MCA have, is we, we make a choice to say, this child belongs to God. We don't just do it for the firstborns. We, we do it for all. And, and parents who then say, we're committing to raising this child in a way that they hear the good news of the gospel. We're going to model for them lives lived on mission for Jesus. But let me just address the elephant in the room, which is, Luke chapter 2 and Jesus, who you've heard is God, being like dedicated to God as an infant, right? And 
And I probably don't even have all the answers to your theological questions about Jesus' childhood. Yes, Jesus is God. He was God even as a child. So why would he need to be consecrated? Why would he need to be dedicated? Well, for one, Jesus just has a way of setting the example for us to follow. He, he just has a way of when Jesus does something, like, like Jesus was baptized. And so we follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. Jesus was dedicated and consecrated as a little one. He just has a way of setting an example for you and I to follow. And secondly, we're going to see here as we continue on in this chapter that in his humanity, because Jesus was God and Jesus was human, fully human and fully God. In his humanity, Jesus lived as a child. He was part of this family unit and his family had these habits and practices and traditions that did indeed help to form him, to shape him. So the next time we see Jesus, it's in the same chapter of Luke chapter 2, and now he's 12 years old. He's back in Jerusalem with mom and dad. This is the passage that Nick read for us. They're there for the Passover feast. So jump down to verse 41. We're in Luke chapter 2. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So we'll stop there. Look again at that verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Here's what it doesn't say. When they were able to make it, they went. Here's what it doesn't say. When Joseph had enough money for his family to make the trip to Jerusalem, they attended the Passover. Here's what it doesn't say. When the volleyball schedule allowed for it, Mary and Joseph took their children to the temple in Jerusalem. That's not what it says. It says every year. They took their children to the temple in Jerusalem. They went to the Passover feast. Jesus and his family had habits that were godly and that led to the faith formation of their little ones. They were deeply committed to these practices, these traditions that they knew were going to shape and form their faith. And so we see, again, in this remarkable, extraordinary text, this wasn't just for the non-divine uh, children of Mary and Joseph, for Jesus himself. Now, on this particular occasion, they go home, they leave Jesus behind. Maybe you've done that and left the child somewhere. People often ask Rachel and I that. <laughs> uh, we, we have a large family, and people go, have you ever left one behind? Like, they're, you're, you're at a friend's house or at, a, at the gas station. And I always re respond this way. I say, no, we haven't yet. <laughs> There's just a little bit of humility and openness to, ah, that has not happened as of right now. No, that has not happened. But it did happen to Mary and Joseph. They leave. They go, they're heading back home to Nazareth. And Jesus, again, now he's a 12-year-old boy. He accidentally gets left behind. They don't realize he's there. They travel for a day. Then they realize he's gone. They go back to Jerusalem. They spend three days looking for him. What state would you be in if you looked for three days for a missing child? And so it's no wonder that when they go to the temple and they find him, Mary says, what were you thinking? This is kind of just classic 
mom move. And Jesus is like, you spent three days looking for me and you just now thought to come to the temple? (laughs) He says, didn't you think that I would be here in my father's house? Now, Luke tells us here that the parents didn't really fully understand that. They were given this great extraordinary task of being Jesus' earthly parents, but they didn't fully comprehend who he was at this point. But then look at verse 52. We're in Luke chapter 2. Here's really what I want to point out here with, with family habits that are godly and shaping the faith of our children. And even for our Lord Jesus as a boy, verse 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Isn't that what we want for children? Isn't that what we want for for our littlest ones and those youngest ones, that, that, that they would grow in wisdom and in stature, that they would learn to love the Lord even in their earliest years? So if we want to teach children the good news of the gospel, then it is wise for us to consider what our, our family habits. What, what are the things that, that we are doing that we are committed to? Like Mary and Joseph here. They didn't seem to make many excuses. They just seemed to say, this is what we're going to do. That our kids need to know the practices of our faith and they need to hear the word of God. So what practices do you have? And are they instilling the truth of God? Are they, are they instilling it in, in children consistently, repeatedly, in a way that's captivating, in a way that's memorable, in a way that's understandable, in a way that's age-appropriate? Ephesians 6.4 gives dads this great command. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's a great word for us today. This might be for biological fathers, but listen, it's also for spiritual fathers. That that we are to to invest in those little ones, to train them up. So we teach them songs. We teach them songs where, where God's goodness is celebrated and the truths of Scripture are highlighted. We teach them prayers. I want to encourage you to to read scripture in your home that that the next generation would would learn to love the word of God and and to maintain those traditions that are meaningful, those traditions that are helpful to the faith formation of each and every one in your family. So family habits, that's the first key for reaching children with the gospel. Okay, the next key is setting goals. See, if you want to make good grades then homework and school attendance and giving your best on assignments is what you do. If you want to win the state championship, then lifting weights, studying film, the repetition of whatever sport you're doing, going to the open gyms, working out, staying hydrated, stretching, all of those things become your priority. So what I'd like to ask us this morning is, if raising kids who love Jesus is the goal, then what?
Because I'd just like to suggest to us this morning that the church should look different from the world. And when I talk to people in the world who are at the parenting stage like I am, I can tell you that their standards are extremely low. Hmm, goals for my kids? Well, I really don't want them to end up uh, addicted to drugs. Okay, right. And if they could graduate from school, whether 8th grade or 10th grade or 12th grade, and make decent grades... And somehow, some of that has just kind of crept into the church. So so that moms and dads who love Jesus, all of a sudden, it's like, what are my goals for my children? Uh, It's good grades, and it's, I want them to be the best athlete they can be, and I want them to have friends that are the nice kids. Like, hey, I'm fine with all of that. Win the state championship. Get a 4.0. I'm fine with that. But would you please consider spiritual goals for your children as well? And then if indeed you say, yeah, I want my kids to love Jesus, then what is it that's going to take place? Like, it's easy to say you've got to do your homework when good grades are the goal. What if you, you want your children to grow to be more like Jesus? Then what do you do? Of course, we encourage families to bring their children on Wednesday nights. We've got jam for kids. We've got middle school and high school activities. We, we do think that that's valuable. And we are a church, by the way, that we want to do everything we can to be a resource and a help to families and to parents to do our part in instilling the faith in children in the next generation. But listen, church activities cannot be the primary way that your children grow spiritually. You would be insane to think that in a given week, there are 168 hours. You, you would be certifi- certifiably medically insane to think that bringing your child to church for one hour out of 168, oh, that's going to cause them to be a lover of Jesus. No. It's a great resource. We're a church who has a vision for the next generation. We, we want to help That's why we have amazing volunteers who who give their time studying Sunday school lessons and preparing youth activities. So so we we encourage you to do that, but do you really think that outsourcing the faith of children to the local church for an hour a week is really going to make them disciples and followers of Jesus? Do you really think that that's going to equal they now have a biblical worldview? Because it's not. Because we are called each and every day to pour into children and the next generation and do whatever we can to see them growing in their love for the Lord. Children are special. I think I did a whole sermon on this when we were doing the Gospel of Mark, how how children have a special place in God's kingdom, how how Jesus beckoned the children to him and how he says, listen, you've got to become like them. If you're going to have any part in my kingdom. Children have a special place in God's kingdom. Like, like the Psalms tell us, Psalm 8 and verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Sometimes we think, well, we're the ones who are intellectual and educated and mature. And children, are they're just silly. Who would do the reverse worm across the steps in front of a sanctuary? And yet, is that somehow an act of... Of worship and spiritual warfare 
establishing a stronghold against the enemy through the, through the praise of children? You might remember this one in the King James. This is the Psalm 8-2 is the King James uh, out of the mouths of babes and... So I would like to suggest that the end goal for parents really is simple. To raise children who love Jesus. And, and, and maybe that's a, a great step for you to take. It's to say, yeah, I, I want to see children who grow to love Jesus. We, we want the next generation to be reached with the gospel. We, we want to see them giving lordship of their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see them then grow to become people who live on mission for the Lord. We want to see them as people who shine brightly in a very dark world. And so, yes, this means each and every day we do whatever we can to pour into, to help train, to see them take one step closer to Jesus. This goes for families who are in public school, families who are in Christian school, families who homeschool. Each and every day, seeing children take one step closer to Jesus. So don't, don't think that you'll wait until they're grown up to invite them into a relationship with God through Christ. Present them that opportunity now. And invite them into a relationship with God now, even in these early formative years. Just like the Lord said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So don't tell me that a five-year-old can't have a relationship with God through Christ. God knows us even in the womb. So we set goals for our kids, we teach our kids, but I wanted to come back to this idea of modeling the gospel ourselves. It, it, because kids just have a way of picking up on your attitude, on your actions, on your behaviors. Don't you just love it when you find yourself screaming, Stop screaming! <laughs> You're like, um, now that was a lesson in irony. So Lord, help us to be consistent. That No, we're not perfect, but that our lifestyle would match our message, that we too would be modeling this journey of growth, that, that we would also recognize that I'm a child of God, that I need to take one step closer to Jesus today. My mom always told me, God doesn't have any grandkids. And you know what that means? It means mom might be a strong Christian believer. Grandpa might have been a preacher, but each and every one of us has to make a choice for ourselves. Will Jesus be Lord of my life? And when that choice is made, we become a son and a daughter of God. So we've talked about reaching children with the gospel. Three keys we're studying today. Family habits, setting spiritual goals. I want to give one more final key for us, and that is self-sacrifice. Simply put, you must place the needs of others ahead of yourself. You, you must think of others and serve them and treat them the way you want to be treated rather than getting your way no matter what others want. Uh, and by the way, 
for those of us who are parenting children, that's parenting in a nutshell. <laughs> that's parenting in a nutshell, is self-sacrifice. And pro tip, some of you ha- are, are young parents who've got little ones. They're going to be growing. They're going to be getting older and bigger. When they are a little bit bigger, and when you want to summon them, you want to call them to yourself, just save your voice. Don't call out for them. Just open a bag of chips. They'll immediately be by your side. So pro tip there, that one's free. (laughs) But you've got to be selfless when it comes to children. You've got to be self-sacrificing. Like, you don't treat children the same way they treat you. You don't respond to them the way they treat you. Like when they're ungrateful, when they're unkind, when they're angry. So in the familiar story of the prodigal son, it's in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells this parable of a self-sacrificing father. You can turn there in your Bible. Luke chapter 15. In verse 11, he says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This must have been a really difficult situation for the father. But the father chose to give his son his inheritance. This was not customary. Typically, it would have been after the father's death. He chose to be generous with his son. And and I would guess, doing a little creative or imaginative reading here, I would guess that by dividing up his estate and giving it away to this son who just took it and squandered it, it jeopardized the rest of the family. In other words, it probably became even more difficult for the father to carry on with his business, with his affairs, because his son is now essentially pillaged half or at least a good chunk of it. Probably made things tough on this father. But he was loving He was kind. He was generous. He didn't respond the same way his son had treated him, who essentially said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff and I'm going to (laughs) go. And then the son just takes off wild living, foolish choices, and loses all of it. How frustrating do you suppose that was for the father? So when you choose this path of putting others ahead of yourself and of thinking of the needs of others before your own and of, of living in a self-sacrificial way, it, oh, it can be very frustrating. It's like trying to clean the house while the children are still awake. <laughs> like shoveling the driveway while it's still snowing. <laughs> it's frustrating. And then, of course, you, you see in the story in Luke chapter 15, the son comes to his senses. He now has nothing. He's slopping the hogs. He's wanting to eat the the food that they're eating. And he says, well, I'll just go home. He comes to his senses. He returns home. So jump down to verse 20. We're in Luke chapter 15. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast 
and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father could have said, oh no, 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 no. I already gave you your half of the estate, dear son. Why are you now coming back groveling to me? You who said, I wish you were dead, give me what's mine. The father could have responded very differently here. He could have said, oh, remember not so long ago when you plundered our family farm and business and whatever they were field they were in. Remember when you took all of those resources and you left, you headed for the big city. You didn't give us a second thought. You left us behind. But that's not the way the father responds. He runs to his son. He puts the robe on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He slaughters the fattened calf. He throws an expensive feast. Surely all of these things are going to cost the father something. And that's what I'm pointing out in this story. He's already given the son half of the estate. He's already given him his share of the inheritance. And now when the son comes back, what does he do? He gives again. Self-sacrifice. Why would a father do that for a child? Why would he put the expensive ring on his finger and sandals on his feet? Why would he slaughter the fattened calf? Because his son was worth it. Children are worth it. Those precious young little ones who are so often devalued by the world, they are worth it when we make a sacrifice to reach them, to teach them. And ultimately, this is God's heart toward each and every one of us. This parable, of course, reveals you and I as the prodigal son and God as that loving heavenly father who has made sacrifices. Why? Because he thinks we are worth it. He celebrates when we come back to him. He places that robe of righteousness on us. He places that that signet ring on our fingers that says, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. So the best encouragement I can give us today is to return to him. Just come running home. And he's going to embrace you. He's going to welcome you back. So this is whether you're a child or a teenager or an adult or in your golden years. Each and every one of us has that opportunity to run back to the Heavenly Father. I want us to hear this good news today that the Lord stands ready to forgive and embrace. Will you run into his arms? Will you say, Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy. And yet, I want to come home. If you want to do that today, let's meet up after the service. I would just be honored to pray with you and to walk with you before God's throne of grace as you give your life to him. Or maybe today the challenge for you is, I want to do something for the next generation. I've been sitting on the sidelines too long. I've been sitting back and too comfortable in my own preferences. And I want to take action. What part can I play in raising up children and instilling the gospel in them? 
well, it begins with determining that they are indeed more important than your preferences, your comforts, your opinions. Just like the father in this story had to make sacrifices. If we are going to raise up the next generation, we too have to make sacrifices. Oh, it'd be easier to watch TV than do family devotions, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be easier to just say, well, the children's ministry at our church is going to be the one that disciples my children rather than take that ownership myself. But no, we labor and we pour ourselves into children. Why? Because they're worth it. Because they're valuable. The sacrifice might be great when you are raising a child. But I want to tell you this, the reward is even greater. The reward is even greater than the sacrifice. What price could we potentially put on a soul? What, what price could we potentially put on a human life? A person made in the image of God. That needs nurturing and encouraged. And you know, people have a, a way of growing up. <laughs> so, so the truth is, someone, when I was a little boy, spent time investing in me. So those little ones that we invest in, that we raise up, when they grow to love Jesus, they have a way of getting married and having children of their own. And, and having friends and spouses and relatives and co-workers and peers that they impact with the gospel. So it goes far beyond just one life. It's kingdom multiplication. So we teach children the gospel. We demonstrate it and live it out faithfully before them. We share with them about a God who loves them. And who has now gone on to prepare a place for them in paradise. That's something we can all take part in. It's not just for parents. It's just for all of us. Grandparents, you have a special opportunity. Sunday school teachers, core group leaders, neighbors and coaches, and teenagers. I noticed this morning on, on our volunteer sheet that Libby Hostetler was signed up to staff the nursery during the worship service. Maybe you're a teenager or a grandparent and you say, well, I could take a turn in there. So that moms and dads could come into the service to worship and, and to sit under the teaching of God's word. I mean, that, there you're, you're ensuring that children are impacted by the gospel, but moms and dads too. So that maybe they're refreshed and energized and taught so that they go home and continue on. We all have a part to play in nurturing the faith of children. So as I've said, childhood is a critical season in faith formation. And I'm praying that the gospel would be presented to each and every little one that's part of our church family here at MCA. Even in these early years, that we would be fruitful in every stage of our lives, that we would form godly family habits, that we would set spiritual goals, that we would live sacrificially. Why? For the glory of God. Let's pray together.
Lord, you are our heavenly Father. And we know your heart for humanity, that you have sacrificed, you've given your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in you would not perish, but have eternal life. So thank you, God, for the abundant and everlasting life that you offer us. That this amazing life with Jesus, it begins now and it lasts forever. Today, we pray for children. We see their innocence, their naivety, how impressionable they are. And God, we pray that the gospel would be impressed upon their hearts and minds. That as their eyes look to moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas and pastors and Sunday school teachers and coaches and neighbors, that they would see the gospel being modeled for them with lives being lived on mission for you, Jesus. And we pray it in your name. Amen.